Well, I don't know about any of you, but in so many ways, sometimes I feel like, um, I feel like while God is unstoppable, I sometimes feel like the church is stoppable. Now, I say that from the standpoint, right? Last week, we talked about this idea that we serve an unstoppable God, and I don't want anyone to think differently. Every, every single thing that we tried to do this week, whether we're talking about the devotionals, whether we're talking our worship, whether we're talking about what we did on, on, on Friday, every last aspect of it is to remind ourselves that our God is truly unstoppable. And one of the things that I love is, and I've just been hearing so many stories of our church and yes, as you all are living this in different facets and different forms during this, not only past week, but I would say this, this trying season, it has been so much fun to hear the stories of how Cornerstone has believed in an unstoppable God. So let me just say this, as a pastor of this church, it has been such a phenomenal reminder that whenever I say, when I travel, when I do anything, I love that I get to shepherd this church because I do believe deep within us, we believe that. But deep also underneath me, that kind of maybe almost plagues me at this time, not only when I think about Cornerstone, but sometimes when I just think about the church, and maybe it's just because I'm a pastor, it does oftentimes feel kind of stoppable. It feels like at any moment that somehow that we think that because we can't meet in a certain building or do certain things, that, that somehow we can't be the church. But let me tell you something. I think God, what he's doing right now, has nothing to do with what we, we tend to think. I think he's doing huge things, and we need to be reminded over and over again that the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, that same God that has placed his Holy Spirit inside of us, that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, Romans 8, 11, is alive and well inside of his church. But again, let me ask this question. Why is it that the church oftentimes feels so stoppable? I think a question that I've been asking myself, and I, let me just throw it back to you a little bit. Maybe you can kind of wrestle it through. And again, I think if we're being honest, and I think if we asked this particular question right now, I think a lot of us would see whether we are rightly or wrongly viewing life. Here it is. What do you believe right now, deep within your gut, that is the greatest threat or the greatest obstacle to Christians right now in the world that we live in? Think about it for a second. Okay, again, be honest. Is it, is it the coronavirus? Is it the looming financial situation that kind of is just sitting there hanging over us? Is it the fact that we've been forced onto these different platforms that we have to be on? Is it, is it maybe something else for you? But what do you think deep within, inside of you, do you think is the greatest threat, the greatest obstacle to you and to me, the church right now? And I... I'm not going to give you a lot of time to think about it. You can think about it maybe a little bit more later. But let me throw something to you that I think Paul actually tells us is the greatest obstacle. How many of you in the back of your mind said the greatest obstacle we're facing is actually us? Now, I say that because if you think about the Bible, right, if you read it from front to back, I think that you'll see that, that God never saw sickness and pestilence. He never saw governments and rulers. He never saw plenty or want. He never saw freedom or his prison, imprisonment as obstacles. In fact, the way he always saw them, he saw them as opportunities. He saw plagues and sickness as opportunities, sometimes chastisement, no doubt about that. But God fed his people in the wilderness. He fed the 5,000 on a hill by a lake. 
Every government that's ever been into existence, Egypt, Assyria, Syria, Babylon, Egypt, even Rome at this time that Paul's writing it has risen and fallen by God's ordained plan. And even the oppression that, in, that would have happened to his people was always for this like greater, grander purpose. It was always an opportunity, never an obstacle. The only thing that has ever hindered God's people is God's people. And the only thing that will hinder or be an obstacle to God's people today to cornerstone, I truly believe this is us. We are our own obstacle. In all of the people wailing and talking about government and everything that's going on around us, I really truly believe when I study God's word, that's where it's at. Now what I want to do is I want to dive into Romans 8. And I want to show you this. We're going to do this probably over the next three, four, five weeks. I want, to, I want to unpack this idea of not only an unstoppable God, but I also want to talk about this idea of what does it mean to be the unstoppable church? And so what I'm talking about right now, we're going to, we're going to dive into this text and take a look at it. And we're going to kind of try to understand this, this opportunity that we have, not this obstacle when we're alive right now. Look at Romans 8, 12. Let me just read this to us so we can kind of hear it, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to deeds the death of the, or the excuse me, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into a fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So no doubt, right? Our God is an unstoppable God. But how do we as Cornerstone, how does the church keep from becoming a stoppable church? I think in this text, and again, if you just look out, down into it, to kind of understand what Paul's doing in Romans right here and, the, and what I think is even going on in our time today, the way that we have to understand is that Paul was trying to seek to help the Romans, the, the Jews, the Gentiles alike, understand what he's saying about the flesh and the spirit. And I think from the opening idea in, chapter, in verse 12, where he starts talking about this idea of us being debtors, clear to the very end where he starts talking about suffering and, and just the reality of not only suffering, but where we are going one day, I really do think that Paul has in the back of his mind the exodus of God's people in the Old Testament. So let me show you what I mean by this. And, and the way that I want to get there is, is I think that not only we're God's people on Exodus, but I think we need to be God's people on Exodus. Paul is, is arguing that those of us that are followers of Jesus, if you look down in verse 12, are no longer under an old master. We're, like, we're, not, only under, we're not longer under this flesh. This flesh that now as an old master gave us death. Instead, now we have this new master of King Jesus who now gives us life. In verse 12 now, he says, you're no longer debtors to that flesh. You're no longer under him. You're now one who is under King Jesus. Now, in the reference to Exodus, again, I think you can connect the dots here. You can see this, that the people of Israel, when they left Egypt, they were no longer debtors to Pharaoh. Instead, now they are obligated. And we, this is the way Moses keeps talking to him about it. You are obligated now to Yahweh, the true God of the universe. 
You're no longer slaves of him. Instead, now you're the precious people of God. The wilderness, and if you kind of look down in this text, the desert land in which they wandered seems to be the world Paul is conveying inside of chapter eight. It's a land that has this allure of the flesh, but man, and it, while it remains strong, it can and it must be resisted. The Israelites were led by God himself, right? We, we know the story of it. There was the pillar of cloud that's during the day and the pillar of fire at night. But when you look down in this text, the spirit is not that, but instead the spirit of God is inside of us. Sometimes I just wish God would open our eyes in the same way that they saw that pillar of fire and that cloud and realize we have the spirit inside of us, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. At various times, right, the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt where they'd been in slavery, but something kept them going. They, they clung on despite all the different ways in which they rebelled, in spite of all the different ways they went off kilter. And I think something in the back of their head that we see in Exodus 4 is just this reminder that Israel's my firstborn son. Oh, man, let my people go so they can serve me. They just saw something about this new family relationship that they have with God. I think in this case, too, Paul says, look, Christians are tempted to, to give up. They want to go back into this slavery that used to be the flesh. Even though they've left that slavery behind and is no longer part of them, as Paul makes clear back in, in Romans 6, 15 through 19, I think there's many times it would just seem so much easier. I'm just going to go back into that slavery again. I don't have to battle it anymore. There's no more uphill struggle. But Paul reminds them to not do that struggle, to not engage in it means that you may not be a child of God, which means now there's no inheritance, no living presence of God, no, no sense of companionship, like true relationship with Jesus. And so he says in there, right, no, we didn't receive the spirit of slavery to cause us to go back into fear. No way, that is not who we are. We are not slaves of flesh. We're, we're adopted sons and daughters of the king, the creator of the universe. And through his amazing work that he accomplished in his son Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, his whole point is, I'm going to get my people to that promised land. It's what we talked about last week. Our God is unstoppable. But I think there's something so beautiful in this text that just echoes through like Paul or like God would always say to the people of Israel, you're my kiddos. I love that. Gosh. I just thought what a powerful idea it is that we are kids of the king. I know I say it a lot, but sometimes I wonder, do we see how amazing that it is? That doesn't mean that verse 17, it's not going to be hard, right? I mean, it wasn't easy to get from Egypt to the promised land. There were rocks that were stony. They would stumble along the way. But the whole point of this and this key moment that's to come, the children of Israel, they were promised Canaan. But I don't want you to miss this. By the time we get to Psalm 2, God stretches that. It wasn't just Canaan. They were going to inherit the entire world. And then in Romans 4, Paul says, because we're the people of God, we inherit the world. One day because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we will reign and rule with Jesus forever. That is our hope. That's who we are. In other words, this is what I, to come back to it, we got to grasp that Exodus mentality again. Now again, God is unstoppable, but we're asking a different question. How is the church stoppable? 
I think Paul is what he's doing here in this particular section is just saying we gotta remember in this life that we're in, we're on Exodus too. This world as we know it is, is not our home, the world. And again, it is amazing and it is wonderful. And when it is renewed, we will be renewed too. It will finally be the home that God has tended, intended. But listen to me. In this point right now, for us to truly be the people that are unstoppable, we've got to be an Exodus people. We've got to understand this is not our home. And I think, don't you, like, I was thinking about this in the back of my mind. God is reminding people right now, 1 Peter 2, that we're strangers. We're sojourners, right? We, we know that we don't kind of belong in this world as it is. I think we know that everything we have, we kind of wrongly trusted in for most of our lives. We've trusted in our health. We've trusted in our finances. We've trusted in our government. We've trusted our family, our friends, our entertainment, our activities. And all of those things right now are being rattled. And for some of us, it makes us so nervous. Some of us are, are scared. Some of us are confused. Some of us are angry. Maybe others feel lost and lonely. But I think every time that I read through the, the Exodus story, I'm reminded God's faithful. But I've always wondered, like, what were they thinking at that time? Like, what were they thinking as God takes them out there and gets them in there? And you can, you can find this. You can go read it for yourself in books like Exodus. You, you can see in books like Numbers what they were thinking about. And what's so interesting to me from almost the very start in Exodus 5, God tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh, I want to set my people free. Moses goes and says, look, I want them to have freedom. I want them to be able to go to the promised land. And what is the very first thing the Israelites do? They become stoppable. They start complaining that because Moses is doing this, things are getting harder. And I would say throughout the whole thing, all the way to Numbers 21, when finally God has kind of almost had enough with them, and he, I'm so glad he kept going, but he sends fiery serpents to bite them, and Moses has to, again, raise up the staff as its means, this, this, this snake as the means of their salvation. They became stoppable because they started to complain. And it kind of comes back to my opening point. This is what I'm trying to say. We're stoppable, not because of God. We're stoppable, not because of our circumstances. What made them stoppable was themselves. Yours and my biggest problem, I deeply believe this, is us. And the sooner that we can grasp this, the sooner that we can get the idea that this unstoppable God and who he's created us to be, and we begin to now live with this exodus, this exodus mentality, oh my goodness, God's church is going to truly be restored to what it was intended, something that is intended to be unstoppable. And I think there's two ideas, and again, what I'm going to do for the next few weeks is just keep coming back to these, because I think these are so important to us understanding like what it truly means to be God's unstoppable church. And so here's what they are. How are we going to do this? Paul's going to answer this question. How do we do this? And here's the first one. We have got to remember that we are obligated. We are debtors, not to the flesh anymore. We are debtors to King Jesus. That's what he's saying in verse 12. I know probably like, like me in this time, like every day we're, we're reminded that we are in a pandemic where we're facing mandated isolation in our homes. People are, are wearing masks in their cars. We're not sure what to do when we finally do see people. The other day I saw some people at Home Depot and I kind of got all weird. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to elbow or what I was supposed to do. We kind of know there's going to be a financial hit that our government can't spend us out of. 
That means you and me or any number of people around us, right? There's, they already have lost their jobs. They're gonna lose their jobs. And in the midst of it, right, all the governmental confusion that's out there, our loss of freedoms, our minds begin to fill in the gaps in weird day, ways, oftentimes with like worst case scenarios. And even this morning, right, as you stare at your screen and I, I look at this camera that Steve's behind, we're reminded over and over again that life won't be the same. When Moses took the people out of Egypt, life would never be the same. And I love what, what Kristen Nave talked about this last week on Friday when she talked about this idea that sometimes we do have to grieve these things. But sometimes we grieve them so that we understand this is not an obstacle. This is an opportunity. See, to the surface of our lives from all these stressors, I get it, is coming all different forms of sin. We've, we've done and said things that we would never have thought we would have during this time. We, we look at ourselves in the mirror, and again, we see ourselves as, as these people that are scared and frustrated and disappointed and annoyed and defeated and angry. And, and you can fill in your own issue. Those are just mine. But our old, our old master, and in this case, not Mero, but it, a Pharaoh, but in this case, right, our, our old master flesh, it just seems to be coming back and in charge. And now more than ever, church, we need to be reminded if we're going to be the unstoppable group of people that God has intended to be this unstoppable church, we need to be reminded that for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are new creations. What is old has completely passed away. We don't need to sit around being defeated in our sin. We need to be reminded over and over and over again that we must not surrender to the flesh, but instead, Romans 13, 14, we can now put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. That old vicious master that may have owned us back in the day, no way now. He may have been our debtor, but now we are no longer obligated to him. We have been rescued by Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, we have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. We are his. We're no longer debtors to the flesh. We are debtors and obligated now to King Jesus. And we can fight against sin because according to Romans 6.14, right, sin will have no mastery over us because of the amazing grace of Jesus. But now at this time when we're struggling, when we're not sure what to do, we can't go back to Egypt. The opportunity is too great. But not only that, let me give you one more thing as we kind of pull this thing to a close that we can never forget. In this whole direction that we're going, if we're going to be the unstoppable church that God's called us to be, we can never forget that our Father who loves us will safely get us home. I love that. There's no doubt is what Paul's talking about. The word I'm drawn to immediately in this text is adoption. Now we're going to unpack this amazing word over, uh, uh, unpack it a little bit more over the next few weeks that are going to be to come because it's a special word. But when Jesus purchased us through the amazing work that he accomplished on the cross, and then when he was defeated death by being raised from the grave, something special was set in motion for all of us who are now in Christ Jesus through faith. We aren't just slaves in God's household. We are the adopted sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. And he isn't distant. I was reading this week in commentaries where one guy said, we, we get to call him the same name that Jesus called him when he was here on this earth, Abba, Father. And nothing can separate us from his love. 
Can a pandemic separate us from his love? Can a financial crisis? Can government overreach? Can family crisis? Can, can my sins and failures separate us from the love of God? Can Romans 8.35, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or, or nakedness or danger or sword? <laughs> Nothing. Romans 8.39 says, we in no way will ever be able to be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we bank on that nothing. Is it going to get rough? Yes. Are some going to get sick? Yes. Are some going to lose their jobs? Yes. Are some maybe even going to die? Yes. Will it feel like times the pressures of life are going to overwhelm us? Yes. Will, it, will we sometimes fail in sin? In fact, every day feel defeated? Yep. But in those times of desperation, if we will just settle ourselves to listen, just listen, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit reminds us we have a good, good father. He's a great dad. That same spirit that guided the people of Israel through the desert with the, the cloud of, or the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, he'll guide us through this. And he will take us, he says down there in verse 16 and 17, our inheritance, we will safely get there. The world will be renewed. Our bodies will be glorified. We will enjoy God, our Father, forever and ever. Our, our Father, who is God over all things. And let me say it this way. He has us. We're good. We have to believe that to be the unstoppable church. The moment that we quit believing that, we're stoppable. And right now, in that time between being rescued and our home that he's calling us to one day, we have a mission. Remember, I keep saying this is our time. I keep hearing and I keep even hearing pastors that are preaching right now somehow feeling like there's all these obstacles we're facing. Listen to me, church. There are no obstacles. Those are opportunities. Every aspect of what's going on in your life and my life right now are opportunities. We have a message about a Messiah who defeated sin and Satan and death and he is coming back one day and right now is our time. We could rant and scream all we want about the evils of, you know, whatever person is in authority over us, Governor Newsom or President Trump. But church, that's not our mission. We could give the stink eye to those not wearing masks. The other day I saw so many stink eyes at Home Depot. Or even we could mock those that wear them in their cars. That's not our mission. We could spend countless hours crunching data to, to try to demonstrate how benign this virus is or, or watch the death count as it continues to climb up over 100,000, but that's not our mission. We could complain all the ways in which we're restricted from fulfilling our mission right now, but that's not our mission. We could fill our minds with countless videos from Facebook or YouTube about how Trump is somehow going to cancel the elections or how Dr. Fauci is somehow going to destroy the world, but that's not our mission. Our world is in a panic right now, and we need to keep our heads. We need to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit reminding us over and over, we are kids of the King. 
We need to quit doing all those things and we need to just be faithful to the mission. See, we could do all those things I talked about. We could totally get after them, but if we do, we will become stoppable. One of my favorite parts of the Exodus story is found in Numbers 13, right? Moses sent out some of the men into the promised land to spy it out. And when they returned, they came back and they're like, no way this land that you sent us into was amazing. It flows with milk and honey. They had fruit that they brought with them. And then all of a sudden they said, however, the people of the land are strong. Caleb, speaking on behalf of Joshua, comes in and he he quiets everyone down and he says, no, let's go up at once to occupy it for we're able to overcome it. Why? Because they saw the unstoppable God. But their buddies who went with them, overwhelmed, kind of sat back and warned the people, no, we can't go in there. You don't understand. The people are stronger than we are. In fact, one of the places says this land is one of those things that it just devours the inhabitants We can't go in there, they said, because of the Nephilim, who are these giants. And they said this statement, we looked like grasshoppers. They became stoppable. Cornerstone, my beloved family. I get that in some ways right now, the task before us seems so impossible. It seems so distant. It seems so weird. We don't know how to do it. And we feel like grasshoppers. I get that. Cornerstone, we're not grasshoppers. That sounds kind of funny. We're sons and daughters of the rulers of the universe. We are the church triumphant in which the gates of hell will in no way prevail against it. We're an unstoppable force, not because we are powerful, but because the God who loves us dearly has chosen to work through us, and he is unstoppable. And when we get our eyes off of those waves that are all around us and the things that seem to scare us so much, and instead of worrying about all of that, we listen to that little voice inside of us that reminds us that we're kids of the king, and our focus goes back to the greatness and the goodness of Jesus. We become unstoppable. And so in the name of the Father, who will not be stopped, in the name of the Son, whom death could not stop, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who will get us to the end, may Cornerstone be the church unstoppable in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.